0: Welcome to the podcast of Trinity Church London. You're listening to a message given on a Sunday morning. If you'd like to know more about us and the life of the church, please visit trinitychurchlondon.com. At the moment we're in this uh, short series called Jesus Church. And we're looking at all these different aspects, the way that the Bible talks about the church, and the vision for the series really is for us to realise that being a Christian is far more than just me and Jesus, me doing a devotional and having a, a relationship with Jesus. Actually, when we become a Christian, we get called into this this family. The bride of jesus the body of jesus what we're going to find out today the army of jesus the temple of jesus kind of strange metaphors that speak about something far more than just me reading my bible maybe listening to a worship song and then getting on with the rest of my life into integrated into becoming christian is part of this the being a church and also for us as a church it's understanding that what we do is far more than what is happening just here. So I love this moment. It's one of the highlights of my week. Worshipping and singing praises to Jesus with you is something I like. look forward to and hang my hope on, knowing the strength that I get from hearing you praise Jesus. I need it. But church is far more than singing songs to Jesus, hearing a Bible talk, having some coffee, going to Nando's and then going home again on repeat every week. Church is a family. Church is a a body. Church is we're going to find out an army which overflows from this place and this is as it were us coming together sitting at the feet of jesus before we go out again into the world as his people to serve him and to bring him glory now so today we come to this metaphor that the bible talks about us being an army and for a lot of us and probably quite rightly so we would get quite twitchy when we start thinking about the people of god as army it didn't used to be so it, back in like the 1800 1700s you would readily call yourself like the army of god in england we have the salvation army that was started by william and catherine Booth in the 1800s We have the church army that was started to establish new churches and and mission halls we would sing in england anyway in london onward christian soldiers and we wouldn't think twice but obviously we've had two great wars that have happened and since 9 11 probably quite rightly we get more nervous about associating warlike language with faith. So before I even get to the whole aspect of us being army, I want to just address this just really briefly. Like what how is it that we can talk about ourselves as an, an army and what is it actually about? That comes to the second bit. Just three very simple things. The first thing is this, as the Christian church, we do have to admit to some atrocities that have been done in the name of Christianity. They have been done sinfully. They have been uh, uh, done with a a skewed understanding of the Bible. But we have to admit, horrible things have been done in the name of of Jesus. And still sometimes, sadly, today. The sadder thing is that it gets personal for each of us. If we look in our own hearts, we may not have committed actual physical violence, but we may have done emotional violence in our mind towards someone else. So... We have to confess at first, yes, the Christian church and other faiths have been involved in atrocities in the name of their faith. The second thing is this, that actually we can't just say that religion causes violence like some would. So many people today, and you might be one of them, would say, I don't want to become a Christian. I don't like the church because religion causes wars. So Christopher Hitchens, in his book, God, "God is not great," this is his argument. Religion causes wars. It actually entices us to find tribes and fight each other. And religion causes this, and like obviously, we can look around and anecdotally it does. But it's not actually as simple as that, because when you look around the world, there are many regimes and governments who have done horrendous things in the name of their regime, who have explicitly taken God and religion out of the picture. So we think of communist Russia, we think of communist China, we think of Cambodia, think of the French Revolution, who deliberately, as a secular society, actually then did horrendous things against their own people. So it's not as simple to say that. Faith causes wars, and if we just got out of faith, then there would be no wars. It's actually a far more complicated picture. Tim Keller, who's a pastor in New York, he says actually what the evidence is, is that there is a a violent impulse in every heart that will actually find manifestation sinfully in all sorts of ways. We cannot just say that faith causes violence. What about Christianity, thirdly? is that if we were to follow Jesus carefully, because we are Christians, we are, we are followers of Christ, if we actually follow the life of Christ, what do we find? We find a man who, when pressurized to set up a political propaganda, actually decided to teach his disciples to pray. So when his disciples said, we need to establish ourselves, who's gonna be in various positions of power, Jesus said, no, will you come and pray with me? When others would ask him to take up the sword in violence against the oppressors Jesus literally put down the sword and allowed himself to be cuffed and taken and crucified Jesus came not to do violence But to take on the violence of his enemies and suffer and die at the hands of those around him. So if we are to follow Christianity carefully and properly with Jesus at the center what we find is a very different type of war that we are involved with. Fanaticism and extremism is like and fundamentalism, these are the word, these are the baddies of our day. Maybe, but maybe it's actually what you're extreme or fanatical or fundamental about. Because if you are extreme or fanatical or fundamental about a man who came and suffered and died for his enemies so that he could bless them praying lord forgive them even while they were crucifying if that's what we are fundamental about then it actually would produce a very different kind of society so i would suggest extremism is not actually the problem it's what we are extreme about and we follow a man called Jesus who lived the life that was crucified and then raised again. And so with that introduction, and hopefully we're just framing ourselves, we, we enter this war as God's army, not against those people around us, but against spiritual realities so paul makes this very clear in ephesians 6 when he says this we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against the rulers against the authorities against the cosmic powers over this present darkness and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places one more time in 1 corinthians 2 corinthians chapter 10 We read this, Paul says, For though we walk in the flesh, so though we just live our everyday life, doing our thing, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, we are not waging war according to the flesh. So like politics would, or those who do take up arms, as Christians we don't. He says, For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ so let me be absolutely clear if there's any danger of me being mistaken today what I am not calling for when we speak about us being the army of God is in any way some kind of physical battle all right if you're disappointed I'm sorry uh, but that's not what we're about we are here in a spiritual battle and so this brings us to Ezekiel 37 that Mandy read for us so love well so lovelily I was gonna say and then I was like change my mind lovely is not a word so I was gonna say well done well is not quite so well so there you go for a preacher who's called to communicate sometimes I really can't communicate very well um, this vision that we got given by ezekiel this ancient vision we're told that ezekiel was taken out by the spirit so whenever we read in this this kind of visionary language someone is taken in the spirit we know this is a vision that they're having this isn't something that was physically in reality this is a vision that ezekiel saw and he is told he looks out over this valley this desert valley and the the whole valley is filled with bones And as he is called to prophesy, to preach, the Holy Spirit comes upon these bones and bone to bone meat and sinew to sinew and tendon to tendon and flesh is put on these bones. And what arises, we're told, not a coffee shop, it's an exceedingly great army. It's not these people just kind of looking around. I wonder, you know, like, if you didn't have that last phrase, you know, an exceedingly great army, you'd have thousands and thousands of people gathered in this, this desert valley. And I just imagine them, you know, just thinking like, oh, great, I'm, I'm back. Uh, <laughs> Hi, Tracy, how are you? Like, Fred, oh, nice to meet you. Like, and like, uh, so, so, well, what do we do? Like, you know, that'd be the next conversation. Like, so we're alive. Um, what, like, we're <laughs> make any dinner? Like, what's on TV tonight? I don't know. Like, what are you supposed to do? But the calling and the purpose comes upon them. No, they have been raised, regenerated to life, to be an exceedingly great army. That is to stand shoulder to shoulder with a great purpose to see the kingdom of God advance and the kingdom of Satan retreat they have been called into purpose and for us when we become christians it's not just so that we can become you know it's a different way of us becoming a better spiritual us it's actually we get regenerated to a brand new life to get called into this purpose as an army to see the kingdom of god advance and we all play our small part in this purpose for for ezekiel in his day he was prophesying very directly to israel to the people of god at the time Who had been kicked out by foreigners out of their land and they were living literally in exile geographical exile the people of god the hopes of god were dead and he sees this as a picture these these dry bones and he speaks and god's people come alive, that there is hope to come. And we live in this spiritual pattern of regeneration. For us, we are not geographical exiles, we are spiritual exiles when we're outside of the presence of God, not seeing him face to face, wandering in wildernesses, struggling and thirsty sometimes through life, just wondering, what is this about? And when we become Christians, we get regenerated to a brand new life and get called into this army to go shoulder to shoulder. All the different metaphors have different kind of senses to them. Family, you know, it's that kind of dinner table, face to face, chatting, laughing is, is strengthening. Temple has got this sense of this posture of being up, hands up in the air, the Holy Spirit comes upon us. But when we talk about army, what we're talking about is turning and going shoulder to shoulder with one another and marching forward in the purposes of God. And this is what we have In Ezekiel 37 this this whole image of us being an army will never make sense to us if if we don't actually believe that we are in a battle and my suggestion to us is that for those of us who live in London and the West we don't normally think that we are in a battle you know because life is kind of it's all right you know life is fine okay it can be lonely in london sometimes you get worked really hard sometimes your boss is not great there are tensions at work there are tensions at home but generally like the, we've got health care we got we we've got food we've got, like it's all right let's check on instagram it doesn't look like there's a war on it looks kind of glamorous like let's go out and find the glamour and yet what the bible talks about is that actually the whole of life is is framed as this great cosmic war that we are caught up in if we don't understand this we will just uh, wear the wrong clothes spiritual clothes we will as it were kind of walk into enemy fire wearing flip-flops and t-shirt eating a bag of crisps listening to a podcast about and more centered you or something like that I don't know you know all the while tanks just throwing armory at you we will be oblivious we will be vulnerable if we don't actually understand and the issue is that Satan works very carefully and quietly and if he came with a full frontal attack we're like if you walk through the door like i now, like, oh, okay, so here's Satan. Uh, we're going to avoid him. Uh, so let's all walk this way, shall we? Like, it's quite simple, okay? Let's avoid the enemy. But Satan works undercover. Enemy often works undercover, under the cover of darkness, under the cover of night. And Satan works under the cover of just everyday, ordinary life. Derailing us, speaking lies to us, trying to destroy mindsets trying to get a foothold in our life so that what we think is innocent, what we just allow a little grudge, a little bitterness, a little anger, just, okay, I'll let that fester for a day and then a week and a month and 10 years pass and you become something that you never wanted to be. He will work quietly in our midst. To quote Kaiser Sose, the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was to convince the world he never existed. And that's what he wants us to think, doesn't he? Like, oh, I'm waking up, it's Monday morning, I'm about town, I've got work to do, woo Like, we've got an enemy who we're told prowls around us like a roaring lion, looking for someone who does drop their shield, who does leave their armor at home and walks vulnerable into the battlefield. We don't have an option as to whether we enter the battlefield. As we become Christians, we are an army and we have been commissioned into this great battle. Greg Boyd, an author, he says this, almost everything that Jesus and the early church were about is decisively colored by the central conviction that the world is caught in the crossfire of a cosmic battle between the Lord and his angelic army and Satan and his demonic army. So there are these two kingdoms, the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness, Jesus and Satan, Jesus and his angels, Satan and his demons. And we are in the middle of this battle. And if we had eyes to see there are realities beyond this reality that are at war right now, and we are in the crosshairs of this battle. So there's this moment where Elisha, he's caught up in a city because the king of Assyria finds out where he is and they come and surround him. And Elisha's uh, assistant is freaking out because he's looking at this army that are there to kill Elisha. So if you're Elisha's assistant, you know it's not going to go well for you on that Tuesday morning. He is freaking out. And so Elisha says, and he says this, do not be afraid. For those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And then Elisha prayed and said, O oh Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. And so the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw and beheld the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. So Elisha saw something beyond the physical realm. He knew there is a battle beyond this battle. There are battles beyond the issues that you are facing. You do have battles in your life, but there are bigger battles beyond that. And Elisha stands secure, literally surrounded by Syria who want to kill him. And he is calm because he knows in the spirit that there are armies around here. And those who are with me and the Lord, they are far more than those who are with our enemy. We can be at peace. Amen. That does deserve an amen. And, and the, the, the way that Satan comes to us as, his, as Jesus' army is he comes to us in all sorts of clever, quiet ways. And the, the most primary way that he comes to us is, is by attacking our mind, the most powerful thing that we have. And so he will come and he will whisper lies to us. And he will talk to us about who we are. And my fear is that many of us think that We've got this little thing that we say to ourselves or the way our mindset and we think it's just us. That's just who we are. And that's you talking to you when actually what is happening is that Satan is inciting you to think thoughts about yourself that are just plain wrong. Thoughts that want to destroy you, thoughts that want to keep you down, thoughts that want to hold you back, thoughts that want to cripple you in who you are so that you will not flourish. In the name of the Lord, and that you will diminish in this life, just as you may fear. And so he just quietly whispers things, and sometimes it's through other people. And he'll take a phrase that someone said to you, and he will remind you of that again and again and again and again until you think that might just be true of you. And he comes for our minds, so we we have to be on guard. We have to wear the appropriate clothing, which is where it's his army. We need to be super smart and listen to the call of of Paul. And what I want to read is is Ephesians 6, which is really the the, the clearest declaration and and call to arms that we have as God's people. I want to read this to us and I want you to listen to this and just hear these words to you as one being charged by a senior officer. And Paul says this to us finally, Trinity Church London, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armour of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armour of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And the evil day is today, unless we're in doubt. And having done all what church Praying at all times in the spirit, with all prayer and supplication to that end. Keep alert, church, with all perseverance, making supplication prayers for all the saints. And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. What does Paul say? He says, church... You need to stand. When there is this impulse in us to eject out of our situation, when there is this deep impulse in us just simply to pray, Lord, would you just take this situation from me? The first thought has to be, Lord, strengthen me so that I can stand right here where you've called me to. In an age where we always seem to have options it is so tempting to pray and try and work out ways to escape difficulties and trials isn't it if there is a way in which i can just get out of this my first second and last prayer before night is: lord take this away from me but paul charges us and says church you stand where you are and once you've stood you stand remain standing and then he says a third time in in case we don't understand stand therefore you remain firm we don't pray like lord just get me out of this situation as quickly no we pray lord give me the strength to stand in the calling that you've given to me may i not eject prematurely may i not get out of this before all you've done is through me and around me has been completed may this not end before all the fruit that's been born through my life just because things are going badly does not mean that we need to find a way out, that this isn't the Lord's will. It may just be the indicator that you are in the Lord's will. And so he says, Church, will you stand in this situation? Don't just simply pray, get me out of this place. But we don't stand as an army in our strength. And this is the good news. We stand in the Lord's strength. Because this, this armor, it's not like Okay, I've got this belt, I've got this helmet, you know, and you can just imagine, you know, like a belt of of self-belief because believe in myself, I can do this, you know, a helmet of a can-do attitude, you know, the shield of a positive mentality. This is not like trying to think of all the good things that I could learn and, you know, like maybe helpful stuff along the way, but this is the Lord's armor. So Paul yes he is kind of he's got this image of a Roman centurion sure but far deeper and far more more real than that is Isaiah 59 where we're told that the Lord looks on the injustice and the evil of our day and he puts on armor himself to engage in warfare. This is what we're told in, in in Isaiah 59. We're told the Lord the Lord saw injustice, and it displeased Him that there was no justice. He saw that there was no man, and wondered that there was no one to intercede. And then His own own arm brought His salvation, and His righteousness upheld Him. It says, he put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. And according to their deeds, so he will repay wrath to his adversaries, repayment to his enemies, to the coastlands, he will render payment. So they, will, so they shall fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun. For he will come like a rushing stream, which the wind of the Lord drives and a redeemer will come to Zion. The Lord, we're told, doesn't look on the evil of our day and says over to you, church. See what you can do with this. The Lord puts armor on. And he enters into the fray and he comes to the very center point of the battle and he walks towards the cross and he takes on the full enemy fire in the cross. He takes on everything that Satan can throw at us on himself in his body. And we're told in Colossians 2:15 that he disarms the power of the enemy, and in his own crucifixion, he takes down the weapons of the enemy so that he cannot ultimately harm us, and he drags Satan down into death, into Hades, so that he will have no more victories over god's people and he is vindicated by the resurrection by the glory of his father and he is raised to a brand new life so that he may give armor to everyone who may come to him and receive strength in his name so the fate of this battle that we're in right now is not in the balance we're not waiting for the film to end wondering who's going to win We already know that Jesus Christ is the victor in his death, his crucifixion, and his resurrection. So when we walk, we walk in faith and victory. Amen. Amen. I've been singing, I don't know, I went to a Presbyterian church growing up, and I I love the Presbyterians. I have so much love for them. And I learned this song, you probably did. Be bold. Be strong, for the Lord your God is with you. Be bold, be strong, for the Lord your God is with you. I am not afraid. I am not dismayed, not me, for I'm walking in faith and victory. Guys, I'm walking in faith and victory for the Lord your God is with you. Amen. Round of applause that was not planned and when I tell Toria that I sang in church with a microphone on she is going to laugh hey hallelujah that's a truth I'm taking or a lie I'm going to believe yeah anyway um, where were we be bold be strong yeah we're walking I've been singing that I mean you know songs that you, you hear as a kid they come back to you in moments where you really need them I really needed it this week I'm walking in faith and victory that's true Like it's not cheesy to me anymore like you told me that sing that in church 15 years ago like oh my goodness like you're trying to start a church not close a church but now I'm like faith and victory yeah I'm walking in faith and victory because the Lord has won a battle for me and so what we need to do is take up this armor and follow the Lord because even though Satan is defeated there are still the last lashings out that he wants to just take us down with there's a possibility to make it to glory but there's also possibilities to get scarred and make ourselves unnecessarily vulnerable along the way and so we're told we take up this armor we take up we're told the belt of truth that's just believing truth from the bible about us and not believing what the enemy would say about us things maybe teachers parents bosses friends even spouses may have said about us that still somehow just they cause you to doubt who you really are he says put on the breastplate of righteousness that's believing that christ is your righteousness yeah you've sinned sure i've sinned we've all sinned we walk in iniquity in this culture and yet the Lord is my righteousness and whenever I doubt this I just look to heaven and I see Christ my righteousness and whenever the accuser comes I just point at Jesus because he is my righteousness shoes for your feet having put on the readiness by the gospel of peace that is believing that everywhere you walk there's gospel reality there's grace for you There's grace coming down, there's grace to be poured out, there's words to be spoken, there's others to be helped to understand the good news of Jesus. Having put on, um, in all all circumstances, take up the shield of faith. That is just choosing to believe. Like, lies will come, but choose to believe the word. It's a choice, I'm just gonna lift up my shield. I believe this. Taking up also, the helmet of salvation Just believe i'm saved i'm not part of that world anymore i'm part of the kingdom of light and the sword of the spirit which is the word of god without this book open in your life hearing these words you are going to get lost very quickly you cannot take up the armor without this book being open in your life if this book is closed you are in a sense walking into battle without any weaponry you are vulnerable so we need this book open, just taking in the words, the truth, the reality, the story that we're in. For me, very often, if I keep this book closed long enough, I forget the realities, I mean, I'm mean, i open I'm like, oh yeah, there's a bigger story that I'm a part of that I need to be really aware of. And so we take this, and as I close, I wanna just share two things that we need to do as an army if we're gonna take up this, this, this uh, armor and also just stand in a day of evil. And the first thing is this, is is we need to pray because Paul closes this whole admonition to stand in this armor, the Lord's strength. He says, praying at all times. So having taken up all of this, praying at all times with all prayer and supplication. Get, Get it, Paul? We need to pray that off our list he says no 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 and to that end keep alert with all perseverance making supplication for all the saints and also for me that words may be given to me in the opening of my mouth so he's praying 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 what undergirds all of these words around standing and taking up this is prayer the very way in which we appropriate all of these realities is through prayer so as we open up the Bible, we read truth we appropriate this into our life through prayer Like seeing Bible verses on an Instagram reel, going through a quick devotion on the bus is fine. But the way we appropriate that power into our life so that it becomes living and active, an actual armor in our life, is that we take those words and we pray them into our life. We thank God for the truth. We ask for it to be real in our life. We pray for our community group. We pray for our leaders. We pray for, we, we pray and pray and pray asking, strengthen us so that we can stand. William Cowper, who was a poet in the 1700s, he he wrote this. He wrote, Satan trembles when he sees the weakest saint upon their knees. And on on the converse, I would imagine that he's like, easy if we go through our days without praying or seeking his strength. And the reason why I really like William Cowper so if you don't know him, he's an Englishman who grew up in the 1700s. And he grew up with, with severe mental health difficulties. He was institutionalized at one point for insanity probably i would imagine the diagnosis would be different today but he had such emotional and mental weakness that he was institutionalized and as a man he became a christian he became convinced of the truth of jesus and he became a christian he was also notable in the romantic era as like a forerunner of a brand new type of poetry so just as a as a poet he's known outside of the church but he became a christian and Yet he still struggled with doubts and dark depression and mental health issues right until the end of his life. Mentally, he was unstable. He struggled with his mental health. Which is why I love this quote, because this isn't a man like walking through life like, a, you know, this great mighty warrior. This was William Cowper, who, str- who was institutionalized for mental health. And he knew that on his knees, even Satan trembles to come close to him. And so you don't have to be strong, amen. You don't have to be strong. This is not saying, this don't, go, don't go away from this thinking, Daniel said be strong. Okay, point one, get to the gym early. Point two, like learn some power poses when I'm at work. Point three, learn some confidence. No, 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 no. Like you can, it's, this is the Lord's strength and you come with all your weakness onto your wheeze, <laughs> wheeze, knees, knees. <laughs> wee knees. Ah. Um, I'm trying to preach here um, you come on your knees and Satan flees when we come close to God our enemy runs away and we need to pray I've put prayer for me in the last like few months has become like it's not just a thing to do I I, I really need prayer. I loved our prayer meeting this morning at like 10 15 or so we were praying but said who's praying Okay, we're praying. Ten, fifteen. I was like, standing there, this isn't routine for me. We're not doing this because well, what do you do in church? You've got an odd 10 minutes, I guess, Pray. That's what church people do, isn't it? No, we're, we are praying because we belong to Jesus and we're being led by Jesus and we need him to lead us and to strengthen us. This is not just games we're playing at. And so we need to pray. And the second thing is this, is we need to pray together. Probably like me, I'm not, I'll just speak for myself. When you read this, because you probably had study Bibles or colouring in sheets when you were at Sunday school, like you imagine this armour for you. Like, there's this one set of armour that you colour in, isn't it? And you label it, OK, this is the belt of truth, helmet of salvation, and all these kind of things. And you are taking this on. But when Paul writes this passage, as he normally always does, he is writing to the church. Everything in this passage is plural. Things that we can't see in the English is actually plural. When he says be strong, he's talking to church. You all be strong in the Lord. Church rise up. He says in the strength of his mind, put on. He is talking plural there, not singular, the whole army of God. Every imperative, every command here is to a people, is to an army. And we need each other if we are going to remain strong, because we're told the devil prowls around looking for someone to devour, and you can guess that that's going to be the person who's out of fellowship, out of church, out of relationship with other believers, who's trying to go solo on YouTube and is actually making themselves perilously close to danger. We walk together. I've been, um, what well, we've been doing, not just me. Hopefully, you know this book by now. We've been doing this in our community groups. I've been loving it, and Mike Betts in this last chapter, he talks about combat and he talks about the, the Roman formation, the testudo, which was this turtle. You know, this idea that when the Roman probably all done it in like secondary school at some point, Roman soldiers they get their their, their shield together and they lock shields. And they form a, shield, a, a, a roof over their heads and they move forward together with locked shield, knowing that they are then impenetrable to the enemy and they can move forward, move forward until the right time of attack. And he likens prayer to the very same thing, locking shields together so that the enemy fire cannot penetrate our shields and then we can move forward in prayer. And so he says this in verse in verse 38 it's, it's good but it's not wholly good it's uh, <laughs> in page 38 he quotes 2 Corinthians 1 he says you also may help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many there are blessings that come about when many people gather to pray then he says this whenever an individual or team set out to take new ground whether planting a church establishing a new kingdom ministry in the local community standing up for kingdom values in the workplace or wider society we need the testudo of prayer we cannot ask people to step out unless we have in place strategic corporate prayer to give them the prayer warrior support that they need in advance and we need this i loved our group this last week and we were just talking and sharing. We just did this kind of brainstorm exercise, just sharing all the ways in which praying together actually helps us kind of link shields and strengthen us. I'm going to share it in a moment, but as I was, we were praying, worshiping, I was just so struck by like my indebtedness to, particularly we are thinking about Korean prayer. Because at one point in England, if you prayed all together out loud, it was called praying Korean style. Because we we learned that from Korea, because in Korea, they really know how to pray, and they would pray together. Now it's kind of influence spread right across the world. And actually, it's quite a common thing for us all to pray out loud at once together. I was just thinking, gosh, like, if I were left without the nations, without these different cultures bringing their own power in prayer, how weak would I be in my own life as an Englishman, in my own prayer life? Just recognising how much I need to hear other people pray, and what they teach me in, in prayer, and how how much stronger we are when we actually gather together and learn from each other in prayer. We we strengthen each other. So here are just some of the things that we shared. He said, "We, we said." We pray more selflessly. I'm just gonna just run through these really quickly. We pray more selflessly because it's not just me in my bedroom, just thinking about my own concerns. We're suddenly praying for Mandy's issues and Bertie's issues and Jenny's issues. We're all praying together. And suddenly I pray more selflessly. We get a big, bigger perspective to pray bigger prayers that we wouldn't have done when we were by ourselves. We get strength when we know and hear other people praying for us. Our burdens are shared amongst each other our hearts get postured better when we look around the room people are worshipping our hearts actually come to a better place because they're postured better when we're by ourselves the temptation is to be praying like watching netflix having a cup of tea like doodling something trying to get an email done all the while giving our hearts to god and you realize quickly like no but when you're gathered together and. Our hearts can be postured better. We add a variety of tones and passions and emotional levels to our prayers. We learn how to pray as we hear other people praying. They're like, I'd like to learn to pray like that. And we just slowly stretch our prayer muscles in conversation with God and we grow and we grow. We get encouragement when we hear others praying. Here's the last one. And no, no, two more. You pray longer, then we'll all say yes to that. You just keep like kind of peer pressure like one minute done it's going to sit down and watch everyone else pray you kind of like at least you've got this like better just keep going for a bit even if you don't feel it and the last thing is you actually pray who struggles to pray yeah me but if you know okay i can turn up at seven o'clock to a prayer meeting and i might just drag my body there unwillingly Wanting more to go home and sit on the sofa and relax, but if you can, you know, drag your body there and get there for seven pm and stick it out, you at least know you will pray. So, (laughs) yeah, exactly. Until until I get, I only get too army-like. But let me just say this: if you if you think I just can't pray, let me just say this: the very basic, turn up to a prayer meeting and just say a prayer. You will at least have prayed. Amen. Talking bog standard stuff here, but it works like, okay, you might want to pray on the big group, but just pray on one of the little small groups. Okay, three or four. Now's my chance. I can pray in three or four. Pray and you know you'll be involved in the advance of the kingdom.